welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Jacob Graves. On this very special episode, we've got a War Crimes review of Rio Bravo, followed by a recap of Week 9 of the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League. Plus, we'll read your listener hate mail and wrap up with a trifecta of really rad recommendations. But first... Midnight Warriors, we've got a special guest with us in the War Bunker today. He's a friend of the show and deputy editor of Collider.com, Adam Chitwood. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Howdy, folks. So, Adam, you, uh, you know, movie news is kind of your beat. So uh, we typically do a news item up front uh, here uh, in, in this this segment uh, and typically go for, you know, try to find like the biggest thing of the week. But I don't want to do that since since we have you here and you trudge through the good and the bad and the like, why are we covering this? I want to know of, of the past week of last week, what was your favorite news item? Uh, it's probably David Fincher essentially closing a deal to direct World War Z2, which is all kinds of nuts. That makes sense. He directed the first one, right? <laughs> no, no, that would be Mark Forster. <laughs> oh, uh, well, well, that's weird. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, a. I I mean, the first movie famously, Forster and Pitt didn't get along, but Pitt produced this movie and it budget overruns. They scrapped the third act that they shot, brought in Damon Lindelof and Drew Goddard to write a new third act. So it was a a disaster, but it made money. And so Paramount was looking to do a sequel, as was Brad Pitt. Uh, His plan B production company also produces the World War Z films, I guess. Uh, And they initially had J.A. Bayona directing but then due to the time crunch, because they wanted it to release in, I think it was initially set for 2017, he left, got snatched up to do Jurassic World 2, and then Pitt just calls up Fincher and is like, hey, you want to make a zombie movie? <laughs> and Fincher's like, all right. So what, I, I guess my, when I first saw this news, my first thought was like, this this has me interested, this has me intrigued in a series that I never thought I would need to care about, and suddenly I do because if Fincher's involved, I have to take it seriously. Like, that's just like the matter of like, I mean, when, when I first heard of Gone Girl before I knew Fincher was involved, I was like, eh, whatever, but he just, he doesn't, I mean, he just doesn't make bad films. He makes, he makes any sort of, uh, genre or any sort of, uh, basically whatever he's working on interesting. Yeah. But he's also been known to have projects that he will start on and then have creative differences and skip out. Do you think this will be something that he sees through to the end? I think with Pitt on board, uh, he will. I mean, ever since – so Alien 3 did it. Alien 3 was when he they right. compromises and learned that if a studio asks something that he doesn't want to do and if he says yes, it ends in disaster. So since then, his modus operandi is – I tell you what the budget is. I tell you what I want to do. If you don't want to do that, I don't have to make this movie. Right. So that's why he's fallen off so many other movies. But it's it's been clear in recent years he's been itching to do kind of a blockbuster type film. He was attached to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea at Disney. Um, and he and Disney didn't see eye to eye on casting. He wanted um, Channing Tatum at the time, who at the time... Um, I don't think Magic Mike could come out yet, and Disney wanted Chris Hemsworth instead, which in <laughs> hindsight, that looks that sounds stupid, so he left that. <laughs> um, he's known as what he's doing. He's one of the best casting directors out there. Yeah. So I think that I think this might work. I, I also think he's frustrated. He had two uh, TV shows at HBO, Go right. Defunct. There are four or five episodes of a half-hour David Fincher comedy sitting in a vault at HBO right now <laughs> yeah. that we'll never see. Um I think he wants to make a movie and I think that, you know, he and Pitt have been wanting to work together. 
again for a while. They're still good friends. So, mm-hmm. so do you know, was he in like kind of pre pre-production on anything? Had he, had he kind of started the ball rolling on anything else movie wise? No, he's been wrapping up mine hunters at Netflix. So okay. after the HBO projects fell apart, he intended on spending an entire year directing every episode of a show called utopia uh, for HBO yeah. with Gillian Flynn writing every episode. And he was in production on video scene crazy, which was a half hour comedy set in the, um, early days of the music video world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like directors and whatever, uh, trying to make music videos. And which he just, he seems like the perfect person to yeah, sort yeah. of mine for that. It was just the wrong time. HBO was, had just spent like hundreds of millions of dollars on vinyl and basically all of their money on vinyl and didn't have a cent to spare. Lewis and Clark was exploding in Canada and they had to shut production down on that because that was falling apart. So Michael Lombardo, who's now since gone was like, Oh, we right. don't have the money for your projects. And he's like, okay, I'm leaving. Yeah. Then he went and did uh, Mindhunters, which is this Netflix uh, serial killer drama um, that he's producing with Charlize Theron. I think he only directed the first episode of that. But in similar to how he did House of Cards, I think he's been involved in the mm-hmm. kind of choosing the directors for the first season and looking over edits and stuff like that. But yeah. now that that's towards the end of the road, and since World War Z2 doesn't have a uh, release date yet, uh, it looks like that's probably his next thing. Because now Pitt is doing Ad Astra, which is James Gray's sci-fi film, starts filming in July so Pitt won't be free I know James until James Gray was working on a sci-fi film. That's yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's it's uh, it's hmm. gonna be very strange. It's a uh, about a guy whose dad set out on a, an exploratory mission or a, like colonialization mission into space, and they never heard back from him. So Pitt hmm. sets out to go and find him. Okay, that actually kind of sounds like yeah, exactly. it's James Gray. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> it's still a James, it's James Gray, Gray in space. Is what <laughs> yeah. <it> is. yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so Pitt will be filming that. Um, probably through the fall or whatever. So Fincher has a quite a bit of lead time to develop and get this thing going. Last I heard, Stephen Knight wrote the last draft of the script who uh, wrote Locke and um, the show Taboo with Tom Hardy, Allied. You know, he's worked with Pitt before, but I don't know if he's had... I, I think he gets Andrew Kevin Walker to, to at least take a pass on every one of his scripts, credited or not, so... We'll see kind of how that comes together. So, so is it precedence for a, a, a major director like I consider Fincher to be to just hop on a, a franchise like this? That's what I, I was trying to figure that out with some of my coworkers was like, what are sequels that like poltergeist I, behind the scenes? Yeah. <laughs> but like as the second movie that a huge director comes yeah. in who's bigger than the director of the first movie, <laughs> like has that happen? <laughs> well, that's that's just not Hollywood's M.O. right now, no. either, as far as franchises are concerned. Like, no, it's Colin it's, Trevorrow. And th- this is a completely different thing from uh, Villeneuve jumping in to do Blade Runner. Yeah. It, it's completely different. It's not like this is a, a they're resurrecting something. Yeah. Well, and the, exactly. It's not like Villeneuve doing Blade Runner. I think, I mean, you can probably provide a more of a light to this maybe than um, than I can. My My understanding has been it was sort of something he wanted to do. And is that is that right with Villeneuve is sort of like he just he loves the Blade Runner world? I think so. I think Blade, he said Blade Runner is one of his favorite films of all time. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the the thing of Ridley Scott when he's like, I'm going to make 17 movies in the next two years. And they're like, no, you're not really. Because <laughs> initially he was going to direct it. And right. then he got enamored of uh, Alien Covenant and, you know, kicking Neil Blomkamp in the face for trying to make another alien movie. Right. He's kind of shoved that aside. (laughs) So I think he kind of, he, uh, I think he okayed Villeneuve to come in and do Blade Runner. Yeah. I mean, like Villeneuve and Deacons, I I still don't need to see another Blade Runner movie, but like at least that team has me intrigued in like 
what they're going to do. I don't, I, I'll be honest. I don't love that Decker's in it. I don't need to see Harrison no. Ford. I don't need to see Harrison Ford in further iterations of movies that he was great in, in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm done with He's it. He's a different actor now. He's a different guy now. You don't think they're going to resurrect him in apocalypse now too? <laughs> <laughs> apocalypse again. <laughs> <laughs> Apocalypse after next. They're going to take the Friday, the Friday naming scheme. That would be the saddest thing, though, if he was still like that same character and he was still just sort of middleman paper pusher, <laughs> like, like doesn't doesn't have much that. that would no, be in really the sequel, cool. he's gone native uh, and, and, and no one even one. cares. He's the one they have to go and kill this time. Um, Adam Chitwood, thank you for joining us. Thank you for making our you've, you've certainly made the opening news segment a little uh <laughs> more uh professional than than usual um but now it is time to uh rake you over the coals and uh talk about a film that up until a few days ago you had never seen which i cannot believe that is howard hawks's rio bravo stay tuned folks because we've got a review coming up next the sun is sinking in the west the cattle go down to the stream the red wing settles in her nest. It's time for a cowboy to dream. Purple light in the canyon. That's where I long to be with my three good companions. Just my rifle holding and me gonna hang my sombrero on the limb of a tree coming home, sweetheart darling, just my rifle holding and me. Every so often, we like to own up to our cinematic sins on the show by discussing a seminal film from the past that one of us has somehow overlooked. These reviews are shamefully dubbed our war crimes. This time, we've invited Adam on the show so that we can berate him for one of his filmic faux pas. He gave us a list of a handful of classics he'd never seen, but it was never really a contest, because as soon as Jake saw Rio Bravo on the list, it was obvious that the other obscene oversights didn't even matter. So to kick off this discussion, I have a question for each of you. Jake, Adam had some pretty heavy hitters on the list. Lawrence of Arabia, The Third Man, Paths of Glory, and a few more. Why were you so emphatic about Chitwood seeing the 41st film by Howard Hawks? And for Adam, Hawks was once asked what makes a great film, and he replied simply, three great scenes and no bad ones. So with that Spartan rubric as your guide, how did he do with Rio Bravo? Well, I mean, uh, now we've all seen the movie. Y you have to know by now why I wanted everybody to see this movie. It is a fantastic Western, just number one, almost, I don't want to call it the prototype or the prototypical Western, but it is certainly, it is, certainly not. I mean, it's 1959. We're right. All, it's way like, too late, but yeah. it, it is, it, it boils down essentially that whole era's like light comedic Western. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know how to, how to describe it exactly. Cause it's not the searchers and I get that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's one of John Wayne's most iconic roles, and and Chance is just fantastic, and the casting top to bottom in this it just 
it's one of the great movies. And I don't, I don't know if you don't understand that and you start calling people itchy, Chris, there's going to be a Rocky <laughs> level fist fight. Okay. So Chitwood, Rio Bravo, itchy or great? I thought it was all right. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I know, I know, I know. Uh, I mean, I'm fairly new to, to getting into the Western genre. I didn't start watching a bunch of Westerns until kind of like my early twenties. Um, and the, yeah, this is one on a, a long list of, of Westerns that I've been trying to catch up on and trying to see. I mean, I'd like Howard Hill, Howard Hawks is a filmmaker. I love his girl Friday. Uh, I mean, obviously bringing up baby, but, um, my issue with Rio Bravo for me is that I felt the characters were a little too clean cut and plain and dry and not much complexity. And I, I'll say up front, I'm not a John Wayne fan. I, I, yeah. oh. I don't like John Wayne. This is going to um, be a long talk. We, we can we can just push Rio Bravo aside and start talking about John Wayne and how underrated he is. Well, that but. being said, the man who shot Liberty Valance is my favorite Western, and I think he's great in that film. And that's but a very I, good decision. That that's one of my favorites. And that's that's kind of the Western I, I tend towards. Something that's thematically wrestling with the genre as a whole and kind of what is a Western and what does this kind of what does this way of life mean for people whereas uh rio bravo i mean it was fun i i i definitely i think angie dickinson is a standout um i i didn't hate the movie i didn't dislike the movie but i also was not head over heels for it yeah i i kind of i i knew this was maybe a gamble going in because we had talked about wayne before i knew he wasn't necessarily Mm. your guy Mm. and um but when when it sort of like i i floated it out to jake okay here's the list and he like and we both love real bravo i think for honestly different reasons that i think we'll we'll get into here but i i figured that might be the way the way we end up going and when i i mentioned to you you were like well i don't i don't really love john wayne and i said you like john wayne's not a, he's like the third person that i think of yeah when i think of this like honestly angie dickinson as you said and then dean martin who like i just i didn't know dean martin could be this good in anything um and it like he sort of he he has maybe a smaller role than that character needs like I, I think you could you'd easily flesh that character out a lot more yeah um and, but, and, and a little bit it's dean martin as dean martin if he were in the west well but not really if you consider this is like not too soon after martin and lewis so this is not dean martin as we think of dean martin rat pack and all of that like this is dean martin as um i can't remember if it is john carpenter or the film historian who I, I can't think about off the top of my head right now on, on the, I hadn't had a little t- time. So I watched it with, with the commentary mentions like, this is basically like Dean Martin in a weird span where, um, he actually tried as a, as an actor for, <laughs> really? for, you know, yeah. For like three or four years. Hmm. Um, and, and so like in like the, the whole scope of his career. Yeah. I mean, that's probably accurate, but, um, historically it seems like actually he sort of was bringing more nuance and more, you know, character to the screen than people actually thought he was capable of at the time. Well, and, and I think his role in this one is especially good to bring a little bit of seriousness to what falls more as a Hawks comedy is how I take this. Not a, not a comedy. It's definitely a Western first and foremost. Uh, but it's light and especially chances interactions with feathers falls, Closely with something like 
um, his girl Friday or, oh, sir, or, or honestly, um, to have or have not. Yeah. To have or have not with, with Bacall, which like actually that whole relationship mm-hmm. from what I understand, Hawks like sort of boosted, basically said, I want what happens with Bacall and Bogart to sort of be the, the template for what happens between Angie Dickinson and, um, and, uh, da, 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 why can't I think of his name? Uh, was it <laughs> John Wayne? John Wayne. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being honest, like Bacall's probably better than Dickinson, but she's also given a bit more to do. Like, I, I think she's kind of great here. I think, and I think like, I'm sort of, I think I'm in between the two of you on, on John Wayne. He is not my favorite. I'm not going to watch a movie just because John Wayne is in it. Um, because I think He's sort of much like I, I think I've recently talked about how I think Keanu Reeves is sort of a widget of an actor. I think John Wayne is sort of the same thing. Like he has a very small range where he's he's all right. Um, and John Ford knew how to utilize him um, fairly well, I think. And I think Ford actually said when he saw Red River, which came out about a decade before this, um, that he didn't know the son of a bitch could act, um, <laughs> which was the I think the first time Hawks and and Wayne uh, worked. I believe together. so. But, but there's something really sweet about his performance here. Very like he's not the straight up like man's man. Like whenever he's interacting with with feathers, he gets a little soft and a he's, little embarrassed. And, and he's a little clueless. Um, and it feels a lot like you're watching his first time ever talking to a woman ever. Yeah. Um, and, yeah and he, he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do with his hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's. It's an interesting film. I think the the writing is certainly great. I mean, Lee Brackett uh, working on the script. Um, it just felt to me so the premise is promising the showdown, this the shootout that's going to happen, and the pacing is languid, and I'm fine with languid pacing, but I just didn't personally connect with m- much of the characters in terms of like this person's interesting because it felt like they were playing kind of the same note throughout the film. Like John Wayne is a very clear cut like he's he's the sheriff of the town he's the good guy everyone else is kind of doing wrong but he doesn't have a ton of shading to him and same mm-hmm. with you know dean martin you know he's an alcoholic trying to get sober but they're all very archetypal mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. it's it's very archetypal and when that shootout comes it's very fun and you know well let me let me ask you this how do you feel about singing cowboys <laughs> i um was ready to turn the movie off at that point oh really <laughs> well just oh, no. because not i mean not not literally but because the pacing was languid and because uh-huh. it was kind of testing my patience it was like we're gonna stop so that ricky nelson nelson can sing with dean martin <laughs> like uh, apparently originally they wanted elvis presley and, ah, and elvis sense. presley what's his the colonel whatever his, tom parker his, uh yeah he wanted like half the budget or something and hawks and wayne were like no you can go fuck yourself because <laughs> didn't he want top billing too or something yeah like he that? wanted and he wanted top billing and they're like uh-uh not gonna happen no we're gonna and, say this is a john wayne movie yeah with elvis and, not an and, elvis movie with john wayne and so hawks had nothing wanted nothing to do with it and i think was actually against ricky nelson uh initially but uh ended up caving and ended up liking it like i I'll be honest, like it's, it's sort of a, almost a, uh, guilty pleasure. Like I can see, I can see why people think it's like, especially with like the pace being, because it's sort of, it's sort of a genre picture that takes the pace of like a slice of life movie. Um, and so whatever, (laughs) whatever you break into not one, but two songs, like I can, I can understand criticism, but I just, I, I don't know. Like it, 
it gets me every time <laughs> that that has the levity of a capra movie for me right there that is just like it, it does have that slice of life life feel and to me this is a a very uh you've probably seen this type of western before You've probably seen this movie, but it wasn't Rio Bravo or El Dorado mm. or well, Rio Lobo. I I think that's pretty intentional on Hawks's point. I mean, because we've seen The Searchers by now. We're we're already on the like the back slope of the mythologized western. Yeah. By this point, um, it it really feels like he's trying. It's it's almost the final hurrah of the sort of classic archetypal sort of western. I guess I guess maybe El Dorado because he. <laughs> basically remade this about a decade later with with john wayne um as well but i I haven't seen that film so i can't speak to it but you know we're only like five years away from sergio leone coming in and saying like okay we're gonna blow everything up yeah or you know we're we're not too far from peckinpah coming in and 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 doing his thing with um uh with uh, the wild bunch and such and so uh it's it's sort of an oddity it's it's sort of a like it's sort of an indulgent film i feel um I- I think that's part of what makes it so watchable is you see a bunch of people having a good time. Like they're acting and they're they're playing parts. They're sort of playing themselves, all of them, and they're having a fantastic time. And I think this is one of the few times when that comes across into a great, entertaining, watchable movie. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times you have actors and you're like, they probably had a good time making this movie and it's not good. There's nothing worth seeing there. So... Um, Infamously, Hawks and Wayne sort of wanted to make this as a response to High Noon um, with starring Gary Cooper, who uh, Hawks had worked with uh, before and had no, you know, had nothing against Gary Cooper, but thought that it was sort of ridiculous that a sheriff is going to go around town begging people who uh, have no reason to be fighting to fight with him. To do a job that in the end he is basically able to do on his own. There's definitely the, the Hawks ethos of like, men doing their jobs and being men hawks is i mean i don't i don't think hawks ever got past the mythology of of the western so i mean this isn't this isn't quite red river which is very much like how you know it's it there's uh, have you have you seen i've not okay um it's sort of i mean basically the the basic plot of red river is like this is how meat, this is how beef got to America. Like it's, <laughs> it is like telling you the mythology of the, the cattle driving West and all that, you know, this isn't quite that this is much smaller, but it still rests in that pocket of like sort of, it's sort of a playtown. It's sort of a, a sandbox of what we think of this mythologized West. See, and I find it interesting that you haven't seen many Westerns, but you don't like this. Because I would have uh, come in here and said, I think this is a great starter Western. It's really fun. It shows a lot of the good stuff, but it doesn't go into the depth that the Western has to offer thematically or emotionally or any of those other things. Um, I, I could also see, though, have, is it that maybe you've seen more like what what are your like top three Westerns? It's like Liberty Valance Searchers. So stuff that's actually con- like really heavy thematically and, okay. and has really strong historical historical significance. I think my problem with this film uh, and again, I, I don't like straight up dislike this movie. I think right. it's fine. But I think that this movie, Howard Hawks, wasn't necessarily concerned with plot too much. Like there's not really a ticking clock going on with with the town yeah. you know it's taking its time and it's about the characters and the character interactions which again is something that hawks excels at i just personally didn't uh, like take a huge liking to these characters but if you do i feel like it's 
kind of heaven. Like yeah. You're just sitting there for mm-hmm. two hours watching these characters interact and hang out and talk. And, you know, even when it gets to the shootout, no one's really concerned. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you get the old prospector, which, which uh, I, I couldn't stop Stumpy? thinking about. Walter Brennan? The, yeah, I couldn't stop thinking about the, the Will Ferrell SNL sketch that was cut where they were like planning for the invasion of uh, like Iraq and Will Ferrell plays this old prospector and kept getting up and like, I have a question. I've never seen this, but I wonder, I, wonder I tried if- to find it online. I, I it, it, it was years ago when I saw it on, when it popped up online, but. I wonder if it is a Walter because that's I mean it's a it's a direct lift the voice okay. is a direct lift so well I'm that's and sure. that's the thing like Walter Brennan has played this character yeah. many times in the past and he's played this character in Howard Hawks films yeah no exactly this is sort of like he this is almost the rickety crickets of you know from it's always sunny of Walter Brennan like he's he's in worse shape than he was last time we saw him <laughs> um you know pre previously it was just like oh he he had like had his teeth knocked out and they were partially halftime on loan to an Indian. Now it's like he's, he has no teeth and he accidentally shot himself in the leg and is a f- terrified that he's going to do it again. Like he's just slowly, slowly devolving into like this, the, the saddest character in the world. But at, at the same time, like he's, he's a whole lot of fun as much as he's got to stick up his ass the entire time. S- supposedly, um, uh, Brennan had been playing a, character that limped on tv played a character that limped in this and a lot of people when they met him in real life were like oh you don't really limp oh really and, i didn't yeah. know that and he was he was proud of his how dedicated he was to his limp <laughs> <laughs> um so i one thing that i wanted kind of wanted to talk about up top but we'll we'll get to it here the at least tell me adam what did what did you think of this opening five minutes this uh no dialogue showing the did did that did that get you at all did that like yeah i i liked that quite a bit it it felt a little old fashioned in a good way um but just telling the story through looks and action yeah i like i and i guess i i'm sorry i really like set you up there for a like <laughs> like please sit but like I, it or get off yeah no but i i i love the way and and on if i'm being perfectly honest like this time around um as as it's all playing out, um, I'm thinking, God, I wish I wish there like I don't necessarily need the movie to be that the whole way through, but I wish there was a little bit more of that, like two or three I, little silent segments. Yeah, just because going I think the silent film. Yeah, I, I think it's a really nice uh, sort of statement up front to be like, this is how much I believe in my abilities as a visual storyteller. And. Um, and it's, you know, sort of feels like a throwback to the silent era and all of the, just like trusting that the camera can tell the story. And then you don't really get that ever again, which I think is sort of like to a detriment to, to the film as a whole, because we do fall into a, a more or less like, uh, I mean, he's, he's playing a lot with convention and then falling into convention very intentionally. Um, only, only slightly subverting it here or there with, you know, with a character like feathers who, um, who sort of stands up. She's, she's a much more, she has much more agency than, than most, uh, I, I think, uh, Western females you would, you would see particularly at the time. See, I, I took the opening five minutes to say, strap in, you're getting a really old school film. You're getting a film that could have been made in the, in the thirties. That's, uh, that's an interesting interpretation. I mean, that's, and that's, that's, that's true. And that's fair because it is like, it's a throwback. It's a, like that's so in that I wonder, does this Adam, does this feel just too sort of cliche to you in in Shades or is it just that the characters don't like it's mostly the characters. I just okay. didn't necessarily care um, 
that much about them. I mean, obviously, I bring my own bag- baggage with John Wayne. Like, he's fine. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I know. I get it. Like, I, I totally get it. And I understand why this guy was, you know. I feel like this is the thing I should arm wrestle you over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally, I get it. But I'm also, like, uh, I think, th- and I think that's the reason why Manishat Liberty Valance is my favorite Western. Because I'm very much more inclined to... I find the Jimmy Stewart kind of character more interesting mm-hmm. than the the John Wayne, who's just kind of the classic masculine, like, you know, I'm going to get the girl, but I'm going to do bad things. But, you know, up there ultimately for good reasons. Yeah. Well, I, I can see why you like the searchers, too. Yeah. The, I mean, uh actually went to a uh, uh an anniversary screening of the searchers and, and Chris was there. And it was interesting because I hadn't seen it in a few years and it is. Very to to quote twenty seventeen problematic. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the audience was kind of problematic as yes. well, which is I should say is a trigger word for Jake. <laughs> um, uh, but it, that was that was the weirdest sort of like combination of of people that could have possibly been at that at that that screening because like when. Uh, um, uh, blankets gets kicked down the hill and there was a guy who just like could not stop laughing. And that's like, that's, I've always had a bit like, I love the searchers, but I've always had a bit of trouble with it. Yeah. Um, just in like, there, there are things where it's like, I feel like uh, Ford is being progressive for Ford and he's <laughs> sort of analyzing the mythology but then at the same time, it's like, ah, let's let's just kick an Indian down the hill and <laughs> yeah. and it'll be it'll be great uh, <laughs> for the kids. Th- th- yeah, <laughs> for the kids, you know, um, it's such a weird like that. That was an odd an odd screen, but it was it was great to see it on 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 the big screen. Yeah, um, I just find Wayne just like a bit one note for me. Like it feels like he's playing the same character in every movie. Sure, and that and that's sort of like that's the classic um, uh, knock on John Wayne. It's oh, he's always just John Wayne. Um, so you you have trouble with the characters here. So I want to give you. Let's play a little game, guys. Let's recast Rio Bravo if made in 2017, and this includes like. Um, you know, casting choices, but also I think can be extended out to, uh, what would you do different, differently with characters if given the opportunity as well? Well, before we start, I, I just want to say something about the, the tone of Rio Bravo. I don't think this movie could be made again in the same way and keep the same tone. I, I don't think there is that light, the light Western, uh, like there was back then. Uh, maybe this would probably end up more like something like the remake of the Magnificent Seven, which I thought was pretty abysmal. Oh God, no, no, no! Like the Jake, please, <laughs> please don't recast this as the remake of the, the Magnificent Seven. Antoine Fuqua is such a bad <laughs> filmmaker. No, I, I'm not. What I'm saying is that um, I think the hardest part, as far as changing characters and all, is keeping the same light, fun experience that you get. From right, Rio but that's that, that's sort of part of my my challenge to you guys is how do you 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 either like ultimately you either have to embrace what this movie is or you have to kind of figure out like okay how would i how would i move this in a different direction that actually fits today um so if i guess we're we're sort of vamping so i'll i'll start i had i had a few ideas here and there um i'll i'll start with the the first one just to like cuz i feel like it's going to he's going to come up regardless uh colorado it's impossible to not think that alden ehrenreich is perfect for this mm-hmm. this yeah. character yeah. right same thing hobie 
I mean, yeah, he's, he's sort of basic, you know, he's the singing cowboy yeah. in, you know, the, the film within a film in, in, uh, uh, Hail Caesar. Like speaking of lazy old moon cowboy for Stumpy. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, and he's sort of like, there's gotta be some Walter Brennan intentionally there for, for Stumpy. Yeah. Um, I, for, for Stumpy, I had a few ideas to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to stay on. So one thing, one little theme that I was exploring was like, okay, how much of like the same cast could I pull out? And so what about George Clooney as Stumpy? No, no, no. Why, why not? I don't see it. He, he, he it, it would maybe work, but he's so Stumpy is so like dismissive and, and, and I think George Clooney would bring in too much of George Clooney. There would be too much charm in him. Yes, part of it. I think I think Jeff Bridges for Stumpy. Yeah, I was going to say if we're going with with Cohen's, I think Jeff Bridges would be a solid choice there. Jeff Jeff Bridges. Je- yeah. Okay. Well, I've I've got another one that's sort of like I think maybe even more out there. What about Joaquin Phoenix as Stumpy? He's not. <laughs> oh he, no, he's not. He's not the, as old, but he's like just as just like I, I imagine you can't understand a single word. Like you could if if this is existing in a in a Cohen Brothers universe, like they probably give him subtitles throughout the entire thing. <laughs> I. <laughs> Tom no. Hardy, maybe <laughs> Tom, Hardy, Tom Hardy is stumpy. Tom Hardy is Tom Hardy. I would watch as any, like I would watch Tom Hardy as feathers. Yeah. I was about to say you, Tom Hardy, you could put Tom Hardy in any role in this movie and I bet he'd knock it out of the park. <laughs> what about you? Like Jake, what, what was the best thing, the best of any of these that you, you came up with the, the cast? Well, I think you have to do the same thing where they kind of bring them themselves into it. Um, so what if you did Justin Timberlake as dude, just, to, oh. just straight off the bat. I don't know. Like I, I like Justin Timberlake. I, I think he's progressively been getting better and better and better as an actor, but I don't like, I don't know if that's the right, uh, direction. I guess I would rather go if you're going to go like that. Like what about Ryan Gosling? Yes. I, I mean, Ryan Gosling would be great in everything. I I tried to go a little off the let's let's put Donald Glover as everything path. Right. <laughs> I tried to put more thought into this one. Well, what if Glover was John Wayne? Um, but I, I just wanted to to try to try to keep the theme of I, I'm not casting Bieber as Colorado or anything like that, which is essentially oh, what you're saying, casting sorry, Ricky Nelson I was, was. I was thinking as Colorado. Sorry, I wasn't thinking as dude. No, no, I, I said would... as dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying is I, I got you confused. Um, I'd be I'd be more inclined to see him as dude than as Colorado, just because like it's a you know, it's off. It's not what you where you would expect him to go. Although I guess if he's still if we're still taking a break to sing in the middle, he still sings for us. Oh, we're um, still taking a break to sing in the middle. <laughs> that's still happening. I hope everyone's prepared. <laughs> uh, but who you I think like I don't think uh, Justin Timberlake is going to be a draw on his own, like, who do you surround him with? I, I too had uh, Aaron Reich as Colorado. I, I don't think there's a way around it. He's so good. It's it's sort of he's sort of the obvious the obvious pick. Like, it's it, it it's tough. Like, um, if if you wanted to go like more like twenty x like Ben Foster could be because he's the gunslinger. Yeah, you know, sort of like. Uh, but he's going to be playing crazy like he always does. You know, be it Pretty Boy or. I forget the character's name from Hell or High Water. Like I, I, I would love to see Ben Foster tone it back a bit more because I think he's a great actor. But lately, he's just you know the past like ten years, all he's been is like super intense guy. He's pulling mm-hmm. a Shia. Yeah. Um. So maybe like if if they could if they could like rein him in 
I think he would be interesting as Colorado to bring like to bring more depth to that character because I like Ricky Nelson doesn't have a whole lot to do. He just sort of shows up when when he's needed to uh, to look pretty, sing or shoot a gun. I yeah. actually it's sad. I like this movie so much that I even think Ricky <laughs> Nelson does a fantastic job I, as I, being I, no, the I dude who stands there and grins. I think he's fine, but it's like you could it, never again. Does that no. mean, like you couldn't? You, lightning, lightning doesn't strike twice. Like if no, the, if Howard this Hawks movie is like, one of those magic ones that I think just work. Everything he, they did works. Yeah, if Howard Hawks is like Ricky Nelson from here to eternity, like for and meaning for for the rest of my my career, not <laughs> making from from here to eternity. Um, I I think it would have been a bad would have been a bad choice. Once once was great. He proved that he could he could get you know gave him a tuber and he could get something out of it. Ford um, had Wayne and Hawks. Had Ricky Nelson. <laughs> what about what about Matthew McConaughey as Chance? Oh, I will watch that. I think that would be a good cast. That would work. I because one of the one of the things I really struggled with was uh, the, I think the hardest thing is trying to find a balance between Chance and Feathers because it's just like it's really it's probably not going to fly today if you're like you have a fifty one year old hitting on a twenty three year old exactly and so. Yeah. Um, it's a little, it's a little tougher to like figure out where do you go? So with, with Matthew McConaughey as, as chance this, and this probably doesn't sell tickets, but I'd love to see Amy Ryan as feathers. Oh, oh that'd be. Uh, it's Emma Stone as feathers really into this, into discussion. She could, she could hop in Rio Bravo and play it, <laughs> but then you've got to have Chris Pratt as, uh, as the sheriff. And then we're just making Anton Fuqua's Rio Bravo. <laughs> or if you lean into the comedy that works. If you get yeah, like a skilled, could, I want to see, I want to see Chris Pratt and Emma Stone, and I want to see Phil Lord and Chris Miller direct. Oh my God. <laughs> No, that's that's actually perfect. Yeah, that's like I shit you not, like that makes a whole lot of sense because they bring so much, uh, just love to their their characters yeah, and their yeah. stories that, um, you don't you you don't expect, but it's always like just hits you. Mm-hmm. They, um, they could get the right tone and and that's the hardest part with this movie yeah, that, yeah that's what i'm saying is like they they could like that's actually a really good like forget forget casting just just cast them as as writers and directors and then they'll take care of the rest yeah now um, the, the other thing i'll say chris is you had a, a, a good point with the coen brothers and thinking about it what if george clooney was chance george clooney is chance i don't know a, with the with the coen brothers directing and I say that because he's the only 50-something-year-old who can hit on a 23-year-old on, on, on screen. <laughs> so it's a straight farce at this point, though? It's it, got to be. It's not, not a farce. Okay. Just lighter. I mean, Clooney can still act. Clooney still does a good job. What if What if we went the other direction? What if it's Coen Brothers and Tommy Lee Jones? <laughs> and it goes, it's their nihilist Rio Bravo. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't know if you could pull that off. Like, totally, I, I, I it would just either. destroy everything. I, I would hate to, to just gritty reboot this movie because this isn't. This isn't the the searchers of the man who shot Liberty. Bell. No, it's, it's, it's not trying to work there. It's certainly not the the one person that I would like. I don't even care where he is, but you got to give Walter Goggins a uh, a supporting role somewhere. Yeah. I mean, probably the the most obvious is I and I can't even remember his name. The the not the bad guy who's in jail, but his brother. Like, give, yeah. and then and then build that character out more to be more than just like, oh, I came into town and I'm a bad guy. I'm going <laughs> to go over here now. Try to blow up this building. Um, <laughs> like actually build him because like you you could you get at least one or two great monologues out of Walton Goggins. Yeah, or you're not utilizing him properly. Yeah, and I had um, I had. I, and I don't know who you would, who you would cast as Chance, but I was thinking about the Zazie Beats for 
feathers and you would have to just like disregard racial problems. Yeah, and, well, and that's, and that's rest. the other thing when like going through this of like, like actors who I've been really into lately, like it's you, you run the, and maybe, maybe it works if you, if you lean far enough into it being transpo- transposed to something else, but it's always like the Western is the one thing where it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to just dismiss every like all of the terribleness that that really was you or know. else you get the magnificent seven directed by antoine fuqua exactly which just ignores any racial overtones at, and is at so all much more it's like we're going to become the most like happy multicultural and just like that like it's it's great that you made these casting decisions but not for this like it just it, it sort it's of distracting it, it's distracting because it doesn't try to address it at all yeah yeah you know like i i think blazing saddles has more uh, subtle analysis of of race in the West than than that film does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any anyone else, guys, that that sticks out to you that that uh, you you would love to see in this Channing Tatum? Um, uh, what what about what about Channing Tatum as? Did you say sheriff? Did someone say Channing Tatum sheriff? Did that not happen? No. <laughs> no. Okay. What about? And I I don't care who goes where. Actually, let's let's say Channing Tatum is the dude. And John Cena as has chance, and The Rock as Colorado, and The Rock as Colorado. <laughs> yes, yes, we were. That actually could be really fun. I want to see The Rock sing so bad. Uh, he, doesn't he sing in Moana? Yeah, does he? Yeah, yeah. He has a couple songs in there. Uh, at the Oscars, he teased that he wanted to do a a, a, a live action musical with Lin Manuel Miranda, uh, which I would also be into seeing. Yeah, I also had. Uh, Jack Rayner as dude, but I don't know who you would cast as Chance. I don't know who Jack, who's case. Jack Rayner. So my first introduction to Jack Rayner w- was in Transformers Age of Extinction, and it was not <laughs> <him>. <laughs> But then I saw Sing Street, and this was in the midst when he was in the in the mix to play Han Solo, and he is fantastic in Sing Street. Okay. Um, I, still, I still haven't caught up with Sing Street. It, Sing Street is great. It's On joyful. Netflix right now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yes. Absolutely joyful. Um, and Jack Rayner is great in that movie, and he's also in Free Fire, which I just saw, um, and he's hilarious and free fire but he like he's such i mean michael bay just sucks any acting <laughs> skills out of anyone but he's, he's so like much the better than the nurturing yeah actors director you have a guy that thinks he's getting his big break and then everyone's like "Ooh, that guy's bad but yeah. then it takes two indies to like oh he's actually good the the so, other like director that came to mind for me and i think i don't think you do this but you know there there have been so many comparisons between howard hawks and michael mann as far as like mm. both do stories about working men who are like professionals at what they do. But I, I, I honestly, I don't want to see Michael Mann's no. uh, Western, especially like after, after seeing what he did with, with public enemies, I like, I don't, I don't ever want to see him do a period piece again. Uh, I almost, I almost think the only modern Howard Hawks is the Coen brothers in my mind. They're the only ones who can do. I'd so watch, much. I'd watch Lord and Miller so quick though. Like, yeah, I think that's I, for me, that's the winner. Adam Wynn. Yeah, I, I agree. But I, I just want to say a modern Coen Brothers is, uh, or a modern Howard Hawks is the Coen Brothers. Yeah. Just because of yeah, how yeah. versatile they are at making good movies in so many different genres. Which are also kind of plot is secondary to whatever else is going on. Yeah. Like the, the, if you sit down and try to tell someone the plot of Burn After Reading, like it doesn't matter. It <laughs> well, doesn't no. matter. It's never. It's it's the it's the classic Scorsese thing: plot versus story. Yeah, and like it's it's always it's always about story and always about like the the different kind of thematic things that they bring together. They they would make it they would make it 
very, very interesting. And it would, I'm sure it would be gorgeous as long as it's shot by Deacons and not, uh, what's his face. Who's who I can never remember, but, uh, uh, God, I, 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 I absolutely hate, uh, inside Lewin Davis, it, uh, the color. Oh the, yeah, the, the, Bruno Delbanel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate the look of Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> that doesn't even look like a Coen's Brothers movie because it Deacons is so tied to them. Well, and and just it's it looks like somebody said, "Oh, Promist everywhere" or "Digital Promist everywhere," which none of you guys, you, whatever. I'll I'll move on. I, it's a, <laughs> it's a like it's a hot button issue for me. The last thing I'll say about Dreamcasting this is I think it shows how much John Wayne brings into a role when it is so difficult to even suggest some modern actor to replace him. Yeah. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, and, and I can't think of the closest thing that I'd come up with as far as like who just works as like you put a cowboy hat on him and you're like, yeah, uh, Timothy Oliphant. I would to, to go back to Walton Goggins. And I actually like I'd love to see him, the two of them square off on screen again. I don't know. Like that's probably a direct to VOD movie. Like he's yeah. not, he's not a movie star, but damn, he looks good and sounds good wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah. The thing, the thing about John Wayne is that he, in watching his movies, you're always watching John Wayne. And it's, it's kind of like in modern day watching Tom Cruise movies, like Tom Cruise mm-hmm. understands his persona. And he understands that when you're watching Mission Impossible, you're not necessarily, the audience is not necessarily thinking I'm watching Ethan Hunt right now. Right. Possibly mm-hmm. because Ethan Hunt doesn't necessarily have a lot of character. Right. But Tom Cruise understands that. Like, I mean, I think the furthest he went was Eyes Wide Shut. It's it's really hard for him now. And I love Tom Cruise. I think he's a fantastic actor. But he's one of those, one of the very, very few actors in history where their persona transcends any type of character they could ever play. Like, Tom Cruise couldn't play Superman. No. Because you can't combine those two highly popular personas. George, George Clooney couldn't play Batman. <laughs> yeah he could in the 90s <laughs> um that that actually that brings up something that i wanted to ask you jake so uh we're we're kind of nearing the end of this um and, and i'm i'm curious where do you stand on it so if you if you had to put rio bravo and red river in a cage fight together the two the first two john wayne howard hawks films um which one where where do you because I, I know you I've you know, yeah. we've we've spoken about this a lot and you've spoken very highly of each, but they do very different things. They're chocolate and vanilla. That's the problem. But they, they but one of them has to win. I know one of them has to win. I, I, I the first thing I'll say is both of them work because of John Wayne and they work because of the body of John Wayne's work. And your appreciation of Jane uh, of John Wayne is required no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it's seeing the variations on the John Wayne character that make these movies fantastic. And they are two sides of the John Wayne coin. They are the really angry, angry, almost bad guy, John Wayne and the, the goodest of the good guy, John Wayne's, Um, but they're in a knife fight or a gunfight. It's gotta be a gunfight. It's a gunfight. Which which Uh, one, which one uh, wins, but it's not at high noon. It's at, it's at Rio Bravo. Uh, no, uh, I think, I think you have to put red river first. Okay. I think you have to put Red River first, but I think that Rio Bravo is more watchable. That's that's a really fair assessment, actually. And I think like rewatching Red River again today um, and it's, you know, it's partially probably partially that it's so fresh in my mind. But like anytime I get on a Western kick, I just end up like it's probably the genre that I enjoy consuming in mass the most. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I just get on a get on a roll. Uh, with them, but I've always sort of loved Rio Bravo more than Red River. Um, this time around, I I love like Rio Bravo is is slowly 
becoming one of those where like I can see the seams, but I also mm-hmm. don't care. Like, and so it's falling into that place that I don't like to be where it's like, well, am I just in a nostalgia sort of like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to love something just because I love it. I want to continue to be analytical of it. Um, it's hard for I, me when I see something when I'm 10 and I love it and then 15 and I love it and 20 and I love it. Yeah. Well, and I didn't, I didn't see real Bravo until later, but still like it, it, it's, it's held this soft spot in my heart because it's like, I guess partially because it's like, I don't care that, that the genre is going off in a different direction. We're just going to mm-hmm. do this thing and do it really well. Um, and so I love that about it. I love the singing. I love sort of the, the, the pace of it. I love, you know, the Walter Brennan-ness of it. But I, I think, I think Red River is the better film. And I think actually like you might consider giving that a shot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Adam, because I think you'll find more to get out of the characters, like all of the characters, uh, a great performance by M- Montgomery Clift. Um, it's who, who was uh, slated to be in this picture who like, I, I mean, he would probably be my number one Colorado. I don't know if he could sing. Uh, no, no, I mean, he was slated to be dude. Was he slated to be dude? Point. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah that, that's true. Um, but, yeah, they say he was a little too left to work with uh, these guys at that point in history. Oh, really? Well, and he was probably, he would have been great for dude though, because that would have been after the car wreck. Right. So his face would have, I think would have so, been like, yeah. he would have, he would have had that, that look of the guy who had been through the ringer. Um, gosh, but Montgomery Clift was great. was like, just sorry. That's, that's a tangent that goes nowhere, <laughs> but, uh, he's, he's great in, in red river. John Wayne is doing more than I think you typically get out of John Wayne. That's, and that is the performance that, that Ford said. I didn't know the the bastard could act mm-hmm. or the son of a bitch could act, whatever. Um, it's, I give, give that a chance. I mean, I'm not saying you, you got to run out and grab it, uh, Adam, but like maybe, maybe that's the Hawks Western for you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's on my list. I have a list of Westerns that I'm trying to slowly See, go through the, the Adam, I think that red river is going to be better for you. I think it, it, it's much more what you're looking for, but all these Westerns from, I don't know, 1929 to 1960. And then also throw unforgiven in that bunch, uh, tell like one combined story of the American West told from a thousand different viewpoints. And they all work together to give this, Western genre. It's not a cinematic universe in that they all tie together, but they are all. It's it's the, the mythology of the tale. American West, including and Logan. It, and if you're not fam- familiar with all the character, like the the guy who drives the coach in the town is War Bond. War Bond is in something like sixty John yeah. Ford movies. Yeah. He's everywhere, and he's he's a fantastic piece of history. And then in other films where Harry Carey Jr. shows up, or all these are legends of the West that only ever existed on screen showing up and playing different parts in different ways and different variations. And while we now appreciate these movies for the way they let you explore morality and all these other things, um, at the time it was, it was a genre that was so heavily explored that when the gems of it come out, like Rio Bravo, uh, they don't have something that we can relate it to as just being like a really fun Western. Because that's not a role that the Western serves for us anymore. Well, it, it's also like I mean, I, I'm I'm willing to accept that it's just not quite your your thing because it kind of and and maybe it's something that you know down the road you get you get a little further down your your list and and come back and there might be things yeah, to, yeah. to also appreciate about um, sort of what it's what it's doing in historical context because I think that's a that's a thing that I got more out of this most recent viewing than, um, than I had before is like, 
he's really, really going against the grain, like looking at it historically from sort of the direction the, the genre was headed and it wasn't mm-hmm. quite there yet. But like I said, we've already had the searchers We're already starting to get on the backside of that, that slope and, and about to really get into revisionist Westerns and spaghetti Westerns and all of that, which take the genre a whole nother direction. This is sort of like, just digging, you know, Hawks digging his feet in. And, you know, this is, he's made a lot of films by this point. This is, this is 41st movie. Um, the fact that he has any passion at all is sort of <laughs> astounding. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm just glad, I'm glad you saw it, if nothing else. Like, I'm willing to accept that, <laughs> uh, that it's not, it's perhaps not your, uh, not your, you know, mantelpiece Western. Um, but at least, at least you didn't hate it. At least you didn't turn it off when they started singing. No, <laughs> that is true. No, I'm glad I saw it too. And I, I mean, it, I was always going to see it. It was on my list. So I was, I was definitely curious and checking out, especially from Hawks. So, and I, I think it's great to hear from here. What a, a, a fresh perspective is on this movie, because I don't, I don't have one and I'll never have a fresh perspective on this one. Cause I grew up with it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like me with Top Gun. Yeah, <laughs> Jay, it's Jake like everybody I, with Top Gun. Huh? Well, Jake and I talked about Jake had never seen Top Gun, so oh, we, wow. we reviewed it last year, mm-hmm. and it was great to like sort of have him sort of discover, you know, Tom Cruise before he was Tom Cruise, but after knowing, yeah. you know, it was like it was it was a fun sort of exploration. Did you um, like it, Jake? Oh, I, I did. I and I. What well, the funny part was, I went into it thinking I was not going to like it. I was terrified. I was terrified <laughs> because this is like that is the movie I saw more than anything else as a kid. Like probably even probably even more than Star Wars. Um, and I was just like, there's no way he's going to like this. And and I've been called contrarian more than once. <laughs> it holds up extremely well. I ranked all of Tom Cruise's movies. So I went through a rewatch and I was like, oh yeah, I like this cheese fest. And I was like, no, but it totally works. Yeah. Like it's so romantic. There's, there, and there's more depth to it than you actually think. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, no, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Okay. I want to close out this review with, uh, I, I want to, you know, we, when we do popcorn movies and do summer movies, we talk about favorite parts. Um, Jake, what is your favorite part of Rio Bravo? Oh my God. The, the, probably the stuff between the credits. That's probably my favorite, like between the opening credits and the closing credits. That's my favorite part. That uh, hundred and ten minutes. Can I say that? Do I have to be more specific? I like when, I like when Walter Brennan says that, uh, he's going to, or when John Wayne that says, says that, uh, Stumpy's going to accidentally shoot the guy in the face. That's my favorite part. (laughs) He's going to accidentally get shot. (laughs) What, What about you, Adam? Uh, I liked the interrogation scene between Chance and Feathers, the the kind of first conversation they have together. I thought that was really interesting. The the one where she says, you're going to have to undress me to find the cards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of, they're feeling each other out. And this character, the character Feathers is not who you think she is, given the kind of prototypical female lead in a in a Western at that point. But given that it's a Hawks female, yeah, it's, exactly. it's also not given a that it's a Hawks female. Lead. Yeah, um, that's my mine kind of piggybacks that. And it's basically just John Wayne at any point when he's talking to Feathers. I I love just how like he there's sometimes when he like can't even look her in the face like he's if if the man could blush, he would blush at that moment. And that's a that's a little more than you ever get out of John Wayne. Typically. Yeah, because he's like, I was 32 when she was born. <laughs> <laughs> I. I one other favorite scene. Did you guys like the uh, when when John Wayne and Dean Mark go in the bar and the blood drips in the beer? Yeah, that, I I thought that was well staged. 
that was that was maybe one of the the best scenes and i just love that afterwards john wayne is like dude you got anything else and he's like oh yeah well it, go and get it's, that silver dollar it's it's the just taking it a slight it, it, taking it a bit above the just standard prototypical western a bit mm-hmm. you know like it's giving a little more thought into it than just like we're going to we're going to rush in we're going to talk to these guys and then we'll end up shooting a guy and then we leave like a little just a little more care well, and and Hawks didn't show us uh, didn't show us the guy running into the bar, so we are doubting Dean Martin at that point. Yeah, solid solid Hawks staging for sure. So, Chris, when the Midnight Warriors decide that they are going to quit drinking for good and want to reach for a beer to just soothe that edge, like apparently is acceptable in the Rio Bravo universe, <laughs> yeah. what should they be reaching for? Yeah, we we didn't talk about the. 50s understanding of alcoholism <laughs> um, which makes zero sense at all oh you're um, trying to quit drinking just have this beer just <laughs> have a beer just have a beer and that's how that's how you curb the alcoholism it, it'll be great it's not oh man um but i did actually like given so this this pick comes directly out of that mindset um and you know dude was consistently complaining that the beer wasn't quite strong enough for him. And so I figured, okay, I'm going to, if, if dude is sitting down watching Rio Bravo, he's, he's going to want something a little, you know, a little heavier than, you know, a Michelob Ultra. Um, he's going to want a beer that's got some, some heft to it. And so my first thought was, okay, let's go with a barley wine because barley wines are generally across the board, higher ABV than your, your typical beer. And then I was looking through the list of barley wines that I've, I've had and enjoyed and came across one that just like serendipitously, I couldn't pass by. And that is manly, which is an English style barley wine. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea. Like barley wine is a, um, a, a style that I don't know a whole lot about, you know, the origins or about what all goes into it other than high ABV, sweet, generally pretty good. This comes from 405 Brewing Company in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, and this also, it, it's coming in at 10% ABV. So about double what uh, any beer that he's having, you know, there at the time, um, uh, is so it'll, it'll hopefully curb his alcoholism. <laughs> um, uh, also coming in at 55 IBU. So kind of right there in the middle. Um, but really the bitterness doesn't even matter because being a barley wine, this is a very kind of sweet. It has, uh, a lot of notes, both on the nose and then in the, 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 the palette of sort of dried fruit. Um, this was made originally, uh, during, I think, 25, November, 2015 in kind of correspondence with no shape, November four or five made it as sort of a special one-off. Um, I don't think it's available right now, but there are, if you are into the whole like beer trade, uh, there are people that you, you can find that still have them that have been aging them. Uh, actually a great aged beer because it's brewed with wild yeast and kind of low carbonation. So, um, it does kind of get better, um, with time. And I, I've read as recently as last year that they were working on a barrel aged, uh, variant of this. So, uh, it's sort of exactly right up my alley hits my sweet spot, if you will, but um, but it's, yeah, it's got, it's got dried fruit. It's got a bit of a honey, uh, honey sweetness to it. And it's, it's boozy, but finishes real, real nice and sweet. Like a, like a good barley wine does. And I mean, the thing's named manly. There's not like, it's basically a Hawks Western just right there on the, uh, on the label. So, 
Uh, look for it if it comes out again or see if you can find it. If you're really into uh, the beer trade thing, see if you can find someone with it and, and make an exchange. And to activate the flavor, just add one drop of a criminal's blood that you nicked with a shot while he was running from you. War Start to Midnight does not endorse uh, dropping blood into any beer <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> Uh, Rio Bravo is currently available to rent or purchase from all impeccable purveyors of motion pictures. If you've seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Stick around. We'll be back after the break with listener feedback and my recap of Week 9 in the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League Spring Season. Before we get to last week's FML recap, we've got a bit of feedback from our enigmatic listener and hater of all things Hunter, Sylvester Short Shorts. Mr. Shorts is no stranger to the Midnight Warrior hate mail bag. He first wrote in with anonymous internet vitriol after Hunter's mostly dismissive review of It's a Mad 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 World on episode 36. Now, after discovering the reemergence of our wayward warrior, Mr. Cates, Triple S sent a few choice words our way, along with a prompt regarding one of his favorite films. He writes, Dear so-called film reviewers at War Starts at Midnight, after a long boycott of your podcast sparked by critic Hunter's ignorant, ridiculous critique of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, I recently decided to give you all another chance. Much to my delight, I found Hunter and his absurd, ill-informed opinions nowhere to be found. I was ecstatic and pictured Hunter traveling down a winding road at speeds far too fast, and finally sailing right out there to meet his demise. Rejoicing in this vision, I decided to join the Midnight Warrior Clan once again. But as you may have guessed, just a few episodes later, Hunter Cates reared his head, voicing his foolish opinions once again. I, I was distraught. Heartbroken, crushed harder than Jared Leto after your spot-on scathing review of Suicide Squad. After that, I knew I needed a palate cleanser to lift my spirits, so I put on a tried-and-true favorite, Clue. After watching this gift to cinema, I thought I'd send you guys a note and ask for your opinions on the best board game adaptation to ever grace the silver screen. Do you like it? Love it? Hate it? I'd love to hear a review. Best wishes to all, Sans Hunter. Sylvester Short Shorts. <laughs> that reading was like angsty teen Dan Carlin. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it, what he sounds like. He he wrote in, but he seems like an angsty teen reviewer, right? Yeah, no, he does. That's uh, I I like it. I like it a lot. Um, 
So, uh, what, I guess uh, first to you, what do you think of Clue, Jake? Uh, Clue was a movie that I watched thinking I, I was going to think it was like 1943 where it tried really hard to be funny and really wasn't. Uh-huh. And uh, I, w- I was way off. I ended up really liking Clue a lot. I've never seen Clue. What? Yeah. You, you mean you've never seen all the endings of Clue? Wait, what? Oh, never mind. I didn't say anything. Go watch Clue. Okay. No, I've never seen Clue. I've I've never seen Clue. Um, and I, I've never seen A Fish Called Wanda either, which are they related in any way? Are they mm-hmm. cast related? No. Or are they no, just related I, in my mind? Mm-mm, nope. Don't, don't believe they're related. But okay. how have... How have you not seen either of those movies, Chris? I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, Sylvester uh, Sylvester wants to hear us review it. Maybe maybe there's an opportunity down the road to do a uh, war crimes review of it. Um, I'll check the schedule and see what we can do. But do, do we invite Hunter to that? <laughs> do we? I don't know. That's <laughs> that would only prompt <laughs> Sylvester to write in again. And then I imagine request another review. So it might be a cycle. I, I didn't take six months of angsty teen Dan Carlin voice lessons to not read another <laughs> Sylvester short shorts review. <laughs> you know, this is going to end up being like each time Sylvester writes in, he's going to give you in the voice of and you're going to have to do <laughs> oh, God. different interpretations. <laughs> All right. And now it's time for the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League Recap. Each week, Chris and I compete with you, the listeners, in a fantasy sports-style game to best spend a thousand imaginary bucks to fill a virtual eight-screen cineplex with real-world movies where the weekend box office determines the winner. If you aren't already playing along, it's never too late to join. Visit wsampod.com slash fantasymovieleague to sign up and get all the details. So, let's dive into our recap of week nine of our spring season. A quick glance at the movies for this week would tell you that this was not a normal week. Two of the highest-priced new releases were foreign language films, at least partially. Uh, How to Be a Latin Lover debuted at 126 bucks and was an interesting-looking film. That's how I'll say it. Uh, Chris, would you say that this film looked like an RDD or an RDD? Wait, what? Uh, a Ron Donald do or a Ron Donald don't. <laughs> yeah, Party Down's Kim Marino directed this comedy starring Eugenio Derbez. Did you know that? Did he really? I didn't know that. Yes, he did, which might explain how Kristen Bell is in the film, not to mention every single Rob you can think of. Not only Rob Lowe, but Rob Riggle and Rob Hubel as well. Really? That actually makes me kind of, that makes me want to see this. At least stream it later. You, you know, me, me too. I'm not going to run out and see it or anything, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, unlike our other foreign language film, Bahubali 2, The Conclusion. Uh, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, but it's okay because we all saw Bahubali The Beginning and there's no need to recap the plot, correct? Correct. Good. I wish Hunter was here to criticize. One of his least favorite things is these, you know, colon, whatever, superfluous. This seems like the most, the beginning and the conclusion. I guess they're at least straightforward and blunt with what they're doing. They yeah, can't and I, third I, think one, it, right? I think it was, this isn't a sequel. I think this is like they broke the movie into two parts from what I read. It, okay. it had a $2 billion budget is what I thought I read on Wikipedia, but it was $2 billion of some other currency whose symbol I don't even know. <laughs> okay. So I, I watched the trailer and it looked like someone tried to make 300 but in Hindi. Okay. Yeah. And it's poised to be one of the biggest global releases of all time, uh, releasing in about 9,000 screens worldwide. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the last big player of this week is my personal favorite, Get Out, on what should be its final hoorah at the low, low price of 17 bucks, but boosted by a 500 screen expansion. 
And I couldn't find an article with a good reason why it was expanding, but maybe it's the weather allowing this to become the drive-in movie classic that it so truly deserves to be. Oh, dude, I would totally see this again in a drive-in. That I would, would be a lot of fun. I would, too. We don't have any down here, but I, I mean, that sounds like the movie for a drive-in. I want to see this movie with the crowd that we saw Dangerous Men. <laughs> yes. Uh, I just want to, I want to see this as a double feature with dangerous men. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the dust settled Monday morning, we saw get out had just barely beat out Latin lover for that best performer bonus. Now we all know that a $2 million bonus should be stacked as many times as possible in the perfect Cineplex, right? Well, not this time. Latin lover was still so insanely popular, doubling its $6 million projection to gross about 12 million over the weekend. And that meant the perfect Cineplex was still seven screens of Latin Lover and only one of Get Out, which resulted in exactly zero perfect Cineplexes this week. I don't mean in our league. I mean, overall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, Chris, how did you end up doing this week? Did your zero dollar Cineplex that you played uh, at least put you close to the eighty nine million dollar runner up Cineplex of seven Latin Lover and one going in style? It did not. Uh-huh. I was about twenty million below that. But you know who was close Who's and that? was first place in both our big league and our kind of small private league. My wife. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, what did she play? Well, why don't you tell me what she played, Jake? Uh, did she play one fast eight and five Latin lovers and two get out? That's exactly what she played. Is she not a regular mom? Is she a cool mom? <laughs> that is exactly correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Can you name what that's a quote from? No, I'm assuming it's Mean Girls. It's Mean Girls. That's correct. Hey, it's it's Mean Girls. It had it had that Tina Fey feel to it. Yeah, it's it's Amy Poehler that's saying it, but written by Tina Fey. So, uh, did you see all the new releases for this week? It's just one indie movie. Huh. Uh, this week in FML, it's just that little indie movie, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Oh, huh. Yeah, yeah, but it's split over three days. Yeah, we got to do deal with another one of these guys. Yeah, I think the difference is this movie is going to just crush this weekend. It's getting great reviews. It's getting uh, pretty good projections, too. Last I saw was at or above $150 million. I right now have two screens of Sunday and six of Latin Lover. Something, something, Cinco de Mayo, that's my screens. So you're thinking that it's going to get the family bump? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. It's got a talking raccoon in it. It's got a little it, baby it, tree. It's got a talk. <laughs> that's, I guess that's good logic. See, I, I have a zero bucks Cineplex set right now, and I don't love it. Like, I know I've got a whole lot of filler. But uh, I've I've got a but I you know I'm dictated by zero bucks. I've got a Friday Guardians, a Sunday Guardians, uh, Boss Baby Driver, a <laughs> Bahubala two, two Lost Cities of Z, and two Borns in Chinas. <laughs> I I heard that as like Jason Bourne in China, and I I would sort of see that movie. That's Born the joke that I made uh, on the last episode, actually. Oh really? I wish you listened to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just so long as you're not playing Unforgettable again, Chris. That that seemed like a mistake. No, I I saw that it was like something that I could play for a uh, for several zero. You know, when I was kind of mm-hmm. piecing it together, uh, I'm I'm staying away from Unforgettable forever. I'm trying to forget it. Yeah, one day you're gonna message me and be like, "Well, I caught this on HBO." 
That might happen. That, <laughs> that's I'm not ruling that out. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll do the same when I finally see how to be a Latin lover. So yeah, I mean, this for me, I feel like this weekend is there's there's not a lot new and there's not a lot of like interesting options that I've been able to piece together. Although obviously I have a specific constraint, but uh, I don't know. Like I I feel like Guardians is going to drive everything. I guess. Yeah, it's going to drive our podcast next week, too. It sure is. Yeah. If you still need more FML in your life, catch my weekly recaps and predictions each week on the War Starts at Midnight blog. And if you've got a hot take for the next Perfect Cineplex, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at WSAMPod. Stick around. We'll be back with Adam for some really rad recommendations. It was the middle of the summer on the sand flats of the dried up cold. They were parking by the dozen pulling beer out of rear. She was sitting on the hood of her boyfriend's truck Washed up Johnny who'd run out of luck Leaving would have been easy but those easy girls don't get no respect Yeah, the heat was bearing down like a fist in a barroom fight 103 at midday, 87 in the dark of night she was sweating clear through his button-up shirt Over to the river straight out of work He was drunk before she got there She was his only way home It hit an all-time high It was blazing high You could see it in the sky And the asphalt mirage Just a blur All right, guys, we are at Really Rad Recommendations once again, and I assume everyone's got a uh, recommendation with a movie that has, for no apparent reason, a music break in the middle of the film. So uh, I hope you guys got the memo on that. And, <laughs> I did not. And Adam, what do you have to recommend? <laughs> I'm recommending a movie that does not have a dance break or a music break. Um uh, it's a film called Colossal, which just uh, expanded into theaters this past weekend. Uh, it's from Spanish filmmaker Nacho Vigalondo. He did Time Crimes. Um, this movie stars Anne Hathaway. It's super weird um, and crazy. And she plays a woman who is kind of a recovering alcoholic uh, living in New York City. And her boyfriend's kind of had it and kicks her out. And so she goes back to um, her home house back in kind of upstate New York. And reconnects with um, some friend, a friend from her youth, played by Jason Sudeikis, uh, who runs a bar that's uh, frequented by uh, a character played by Tim Blake Nelson. The crux of the story is Anne Hathaway uh, gets drunk, goes to a playground, and when she walks into this sandbox in this playground, a giant monster appeals, appears in Seoul, South Korea. Uh, like a kaiju and is doing everything that she is physically doing in the sandbox. That's about as far as I want to tell you <laughs> because the, the movie takes some twists and turns and goes to some weird places. Um, it's a really powerful and interesting uh, uh, kind of metaphor for alcoholism, but it's also touching on issues of kind of toxic mas masculinity. 
Um, Jason Sudeikis is fantastic in this movie. Uh, it's, it's a really pitch perfect casting for him. Um, and again, a lot, a lot of the fun of the film is in the, the twists and turns as I was watching it. Um, uh, like about a third of the way through, I was kind of like, I have no idea where the next scene in this movie will go, but I'm with it wherever it goes. Like if we go to the next scene and she gets on a rocket ship and goes to like Saturn, like, sure, I buy it. Like, I, cause this movie is so weird and crazy, um, but it's kind of beautiful and it's really funny and uh, interesting. And Hathaway is really good in it. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. It's, it's being distributed by neon, which is the new distribution arm from Tim, uh, who runs the Alamo Draft House? Tim League, that's his name. Um, so it's kind of a, a test case for them um, to see kind of how they do distribution wise. Premiered at huh. Fantastic Fest, right? Uh, it premiered at. It might have premiered at, at the Toronto Film Festival. That's where oh, I saw did it? it. Did it really? I, okay, I so I saw it at Toronto. I didn't. That I didn't realize Fantastic it played Fest. that long ago. Yeah, so I I saw it at Toronto. Went in knowing almost nothing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's well worth checking out. Um, it's really weird and, and crazy and it's, it's a, it's a gnarly kind of movie that, that I'm kind of glad exists. I'm, I'm glad you stopped where you did. Cause I've been intentionally like since, since seeing reviews coming out of Fantastic Fest, uh, avoiding it just yeah. from a, like, I, I kind of got the flag of like, this goes some weird places and it's like, just, just enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you stopped where you did. Yeah, I, saw, I saw the trailer and I, I was thinking the same thing you are, Chris, because once I'm sold on a movie, I, I, I don't want to see anything else about it. Yeah. And this is as much as I knew going in. Like I had heard the buzz around Tiff that like she's a kaiju. And I'm like, how does that work? (laughs) Anne Hathaway plays a kaiju, but it's about alcoholism. What are you talking about? So. But uh, you you did a solid, solid job and (laughs) and explained it far better than I'm sure I will with with my recommendation, because somehow my my recommendations always like get around what it is, but never actually explain anything at all. Um, But Jake, with that, uh, what do you have to recommend? Something that I know I'm not going to be able to explain because I haven't even seen this film. This is also a (laughs) self-recommendation. So, in doing some research for Rio Bravo, I started to look up uh, what John Ford's favorite films were, just because I was interested, and I found a list. Number one was Birth of a Nation. He in 1964 he cited that as his favorite film. Well, and, and he this may be apocryphal, but from what I understand, he was actually an extra in Birth of a Nation. I heard that as well. At least, at least that's I think it was a Tarantino interview that came out when Hateful Eight or Django came out. That's not what I'm recommending. What I'm recommending is John Ford's number three all time greatest film, which is the film Three Godfathers by John Ford. <laughs> <laughs> If John Ford says that his one of the greatest films ever made is his own film, Three Godfathers, I feel ashamed that I have not seen this film. It stars John Wayne, Harry Carey Jr., and Pedro Armendariz, Armendariz, I guess. Um, and I am, there's not even really a description of it on IMDb. It just says, when three outlaws on the run find a dying woman and a newborn baby in the desert, they vow to save the child. I guess they are the Three Godfathers. I have to see this movie directed by John Ford from 1948. This, the fact that he, the fact that he puts himself in his own list, that's to, to bring up Tarantino again. That's such a Tarantino thing to do. That's so weird. When, when was he asked for this? Like, was this like at the end of his career? Yeah, this was for cinema in 1964. So, wow. and, and, and it, this is from a, from a book, uh, by Tag Gallagher, who I'm assuming is no relation, uh, called John Ford, the man in his movies written in the eighties. 
And uh, he also says John Wayne's The Alamo, which John Wayne directed, is one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, John Wayne is in at least three of the movies on his list. Well, I mean, he kind of had a thing for John Wayne. I don't know. Yeah, if no, I'm not. Seen I'm, John I'm just saying. Movie. But he, w- w- when a great director lists himself, who, who, I mean, I guess Tarantino. But the list is very small of directors who are that bold. The uh, I forget his Mark Barsh, the the, the uh, American movie guy. He'd do it. Here's the other thing about John Ford. I want a director who thinks he is the greatest of all time. Who is that brave? I do in some instances, not in I all do. instances. No, no, not in all instances. M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> the next Spielberg, as dictated by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> anyway, Chris, uh, what do you have to recommend? Uh, I have a fairly recent Western, one that I think you've seen, Chitwood, may have not enjoyed all that much, though, I, if I recall uh, correctly. It is Slow West from 2015. Oh, I like Slow West. You did like Slow West? Okay. okay. It's it's cruelly funny. It's well that and that's the thing. So this is this is directed by first time director uh John McLean, and I don't think he has anything else slated or not that I know of. Um which is kind of a shame, although like looking at the uh kind of how this thing got made, I mean it was like the uh the BFI lottery was involved and it was like shot in New Zealand and there were all sorts of like production came from all over the place, channel four or film four. Yeah. Um, so it looks like it was sort of, it was one of those that uh, could only be made by uh, the bureaucracy of the film arms of governments yeah. um, providing money here and there, but I'm so glad they did. Like it's uh, I, I have been since having a kid uh, really into movies that are under 90 minutes and this meets the mark. This is like an hour and 20 some odd minutes, maybe 27 or so um, moves at a great pace, even being that it's sort of this, this lyrical light on its, you know, you just sort of moving around um, uh, Western. That's uh, doing, it's doing a lot of things. Shot in New Zealand takes place in Colorado um, and stars uh, Cody Smith McPhee, who I didn't think I had seen anything in and then realized what was he in as a kid? Now I'm blinking. Let me in. No, it was before that. Oh. I don't recall. Look look him up on the IMDb's. Michael Fassbender's in this. Ben Mendelsohn is in this. Uh, Rory McCann is in this, who you might know as the Hound from uh, Game of Thrones. And uh, Karen Pistorius, who I'd never seen before. She, she has a fairly small role in here, but she's pretty great. It's basically... Uh, Cody Smith McPhee is this, I think 17 year old Scottish kid who is traveling across the American West alone in search of, um, this girl who he is desperately in love with and thinks that he, she is desperately in love with him. Although it's un you're unsure whether or not like that's actually the case. And Michael Fassbender, who is a headhunter, um, comes on his trail and sort of takes him under his wing as, uh, you know, guides him for, for a fee, of course, uh, guides him to, uh, to his final destination. And as, as you said, like it, it's really comedically cruel. Like it's got this, uh, comedic nihilism that's very yeah. playful and very like, um, I mean, it, there's no way that McLean is not a Coen brothers fan of some yeah. sort. Like, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily play like a Coen brothers film, but it has that, like he can turn the tone on a dime. And I really appreciate, appreciate that with it. It's, it's very light and sparse and beautifully shot. Oh yeah. Um, I think part of that is probably the fact that they're, um, they're shooting in a location that 
is not the West, but used to look like it. And so it, it has this, it feels very fresh, but then also like just go- everything's gorgeously composed. And there's, there's a few scenes of like, there's a scene early on where, um, the, the, the kid blade played by Smith McPhee is like, he passes through a burned, uh, burned up like Indian village and then comes out the other side, just covered in ash and smoke. And it's very, uh, like you could you could pull many frames from this and just say this is my new wallpaper for my uh, for my desktop. Yeah. Um, really really gorgeous, really fun. Um, Fassbender is of course great. Mendelssohn is of course great. Actually, I feel like he's got to be nodding a little bit to McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Jake, because um, he's wearing mm. this giant uh, fur coat the entire time. Yeah, and um, and really also ornate well, fashion. Yeah, and then and then also smoking on the biggest stogie you've ever seen. Always, <laughs> um, but I I don't know. Like the closest thing that I could maybe compare this to is Dead Man, the uh, Jim Jarmusch film. Like, but I think a lot funnier than Dead Man. Like Dead Man is certainly um, bleak and certainly has some dark comedy. But this is more like. I'm just amazed. Like I was amazed throughout watching it at how much it like really, you know, it shows you like nothing, everything is meaningless or nothing is, you know, nothing can be, uh, can be for certain. And then maybe you shouldn't be doing this at all. And then it's like, Hey, look at this, look at this funny way. Like at, at one point a character gets shot and then salt is a, a jar of salt is shot and literally he gets salt in his wound to punctuate uh something else that has just happened like it's just this like it's it plays these very broad comedic strokes that are sort of you know it's a it's a risk but he pulls it off completely um it's this is a streaming right now on amazon prime um you can check it out there or you can rent it the usual places um i highly recommend this uh, it, it definitely makes my list. I, I didn't say where three Godfathers was available, but it, you can rent it from all the regular places. I'll probably be watching slow West first because, uh, it's just too easy to stream stuff. Well, folks, that is a wrap for another episode of war starts at midnight. Find us online at war starts at midnight.com for show notes, fantasy movie league recaps, and more, or say hello on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WSAM pod. And Mr. Chitwood, if folks want to find you on the information superhighway, where should they direct their web browsers? I'm on Twitter at Adam Chitwood, uh, and you can find my writing on Collider.com all day, every day, all the time. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming back. Thanks uh, for having me. It, it was a blast. I hope I hope Jake will talk to you once again. Uh, we'll, we'll see if he can... Talk to who? I don't see anybody else in the room. (laughs) (laughs) That's also because I'm recording remotely. Thanks for coming by, Adam. (laughs) All right. If you enjoy the show, rate and subscribe to it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio programming. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior Clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. The War Starts at Midnight theme song was produced by Justin Streck. And shout out to Smokey in the Mirror for the featured music on this week's show. Find more at SmokeyInTheMirror.com. Want to give a quick plug to a screening coming up at Circle Cinema on May 19th and 20th. They are playing David Lynch's Lost Highway uh, for its 20th anniversary. One of the few Lynch films I haven't seen and this is sort of the perfect place to to see it. I would love to see it on a big screen with a with a packed audience. So I encourage you guys if you are 
in the Tulsa area to, to get out and see it, then I'm going to try to make it out. I don't, it's, you know, it's been a little difficult with the kid, but um, if I can, I, I will be there and I hope to see you guys there as well. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is out wide in theaters across the galaxy this weekend. Join us in another fortnight when our home video hero, Drew Allen, drops by the War Bunker to discuss Guardians and bring us another review of a garbage movie that he'll watch so you don't have to. Thanks for listening, folks. Come on, Colorado. Let's wake up the Chinamen again. Goodbye.